All right, cool. So, Michael Manchaga, doctor. <laughs> doctor. <laughs> I, I'm going to call you that because I think, I think this has been always one of my things is like people work for years and years and years to get this title. Uh-huh. And when they just call, hey, buddy, what's going on now? It's like, you're legit. Well, well, I'm a nurse practitioner, so right. I'm not a doctor. Although I've explained that to a thousand people. And so what's the difference? So uh, it's a different model of education. There's the medical model, which they follow. You know, their four years of uh, medical school. They do their their residency and whatever training that they decide to, to pursue and things like that. Nurse practitioner school is a little bit different. We follow the nursing model. Okay. Um, so we essentially we pick kind of what area we want to go into. Um, prior to even embarking on the program, right? Like you went to your program and your program is either family care, which mm-hmm. is what I do. Your program is acute care, emergency rooms, things like that. Um, you can even do like geriatrics where you specialize in taking care of folks 65 and older. Okay. Um, you can do like a midwifery women's health program where then your specialty becomes, you know, OBGYN stuff, uh, even delivering babies. Uh, the midwife is something that's been forgotten, uh, pretty much forgotten, but they are more than skilled and trained to uh, take care of the, of the mother in labor, take care of the baby just to, after it's being born, things like that. Uh, we do uh, two years of nursing school. We have to get our bachelor's, right? So it's a four-year undergrad degree and uh, he's cool. <laughs> uh, he always comes out of the podcast, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more love you give him, the more he's not going to leave you. Alone. Right, that's what, that's what I'm getting right now. <laughs> uh, so it's the four years undergrad and then it's about three years of uh, graduate degree program. Um, and... In that meantime, like you're always doing clinicals. So you have the clinicals as, as a registered nurse student, you have your work experience as a registered nurse, and you have your clinicals throughout the graduate program. Right. Whereas in medical school, you usually go through the schooling and then you kind of, you know, your residency and training after the fact. Gotcha. Uh, so a lot of it's intertwined. Um, and that's the basically the nursing model will focus on the whole person. Right. So a broken leg is not just a broken leg. A broken leg is the broken leg of a father who has to work two jobs to provide for his family of five. And okay. we kind of we kind of look at the whole person versus um, the just the, the issue at hand, you know, and I've, I've been a nurse on the floor and seen, uh, you know, some docs go in and they're like, where's my broken leg? And, you know, this and that in whatever yeah. room. And so just that kind of difference there, that's that's the difference in mentality, the difference in training. And, and that's why. You know, the, the research and the data has actually shown that people prefer us and they usually have a better relationship with us because I guess we maintain a little more uh, like a human feeling throughout it. Right, and right. You'll actually find a, on a lot of different podcasts, docs are actually complaining that they, they beat the human out of them and they take away hmm. all their creativity and things like that just because of, of the, the regimen that they have to go through to get through medical school and things like that. And, and that's not to say that all docs are bad or that all employees right. are perfect. You know, nurse practitioners are, there's some bad ones. There's some good ones. That as with applies. anything. Yeah, as with anything. There's yeah. good and bad, you know. Yeah, that, that's an interesting model. Um, what I was trying to preface is, is you're, you know what you're talking about, pretty much. Yes, so, yes. And, 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 and I've explained this countless times. And they, like, I will look you in the eye and tell you the difference. And they're like, okay, doc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pharmacists, you know, yeah. like it, it really, so, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. But I wanted to touch on the coronavirus because this is, this is something that I saw and I've been seeing it pop up a ton on social media and uh, you're very active about explaining to people, you're, you're very active about education, 
mm-hmm. information, right? So I think that's one of the important things about social media is, is getting it right because a lot of people spread misinformation. It's literally everywhere. And now that it's come from China, it's coming to America, it's, it's literally, I don't know how many, I had it written down somewhere, but I think there's 15 cases in the United States now with over 75,000 infected throughout the world, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to bring you on to specifically touch about that, uh, how how it's originated, what it originated from, because I heard it's from bats. Mm-hmm. I heard it's from uh, tests that they had on bats in laboratory and then it got out. So I kind of want to clear up the space and then I want to tell you, I want you to tell people how they can, uh, I guess, be effective with not contracting the virus. Sure. So the coronavirus was actually first defined and described in, that's an awesome coaster, by the way. I think my wife got it. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> It's, I need one of those. It's very hard for me to have this, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the coronavirus was actually first described in like the early 1930s. And uh, it has since evolved a few times. The most recent outbreak before this one was the, the SARS outbreak in 2003, uh, where China and, and I think it was Hong Kong specifically, um, they were very scrutinized for having a poor public health response and allowing it to kind of get beyond them. Uh, and I think that has stirred a lot of the coronavirus um, frenzy that yeah. we're seeing right now. Uh, there is, there are quite a few cases, and and uh, like if you look on my on my Facebook and stuff like that, a lot of it is kind of downplaying the coronavirus um, because you know all the media outlets have kind of made it a little bit more than what it is. Although it is a serious threat, and you know it, it does have the potentially to become something. It's it's not there yet. Um, most of the cases that we have in the United States are actually from people who were traveling in and around China and all the province and everything over there. Um, like the San Antonio case, that was yeah. somebody who was brought from China to America. But gotcha. the news outlets are, you know, San Antonio man contracts coronavirus right. or whatever. And like everybody's like, oh no, it's in San Antonio. So, um, you really actually don't have to go around too much with like preventing it. Uh, Actually, some of the medical supply stores in San Antonio are running out of face masks. Really? Yeah, because people are, are scared to to contract it. The the truth of it, as of late, and I was just reading on this last week, so I try to stay up to date, kind of weekly on it, is that it's not actually spreading, like human to human. Yeah. The way it originally comes from is bats. Yes, and in China, there's a lot of live animal markets, right? And uh, that's where it was thought to 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 be transmitted from bat to human. And that was originally how it was known to be transmitted, animal to human, animal to human, until it mutated. And now it became, it is transmitting person to person, but in China. Right, okay. Yeah, so in the Wuhan area, like, yes, it is spreading from person to person. Uh, there have been, I think, like five cases, maybe, of person to person spread in the United States. And it's typically the people who are close to the infected individual, wife, caregivers, gotcha. spouses, children, things like that. I don't even know if a child's been affected yet. Um, so that's how it's spreading. It's not like it's not like H1N1, you know, back when that was around. And so it's not really spreading too much. You know, essentially, if you want to prevent yourself from getting coronavirus, just don't go to China. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't go to China. And if you know somebody who's been in, around, or near China or any of those boats that they're, they're evacuating people from, just stay away from them. You know, you don't have to take any um, extraordinary measures with... Um, buying a three-month supply of face masks or you know quarantining yourself in your own house if you're not having symptoms yeah uh, so you know, that's that's the 411 on corona as far as you know preventing it where it came from and 
all that. Yeah, I was I was hearing that the uh, the conspiracy theories behind the coronavirus it just spreads fear. Like for example, San Antonio, like mm. you're telling her they're already running out of all these supplies, and it really does. I mean, people love on social media. People love controversy. Yeah. Conspir- are you a huge conspiracy theorist? And I went through a, I went through a phase. Yeah. I went through a phase where I was maybe searching a little too many conspiracy videos <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah, I it's, don't it's, anymore. It's, it's interesting, man, because I mean, uh, there's so much fake information on the internet, and that's what I always ask people: is like, is it a good thing that that the internet came along and social media and to give a voice to everybody, like mm-hmm. you, me, some dude down the street, some psycho crazy guy that's killing people? I mean. It's literally opened the doors for everything, right? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? I think with with uh, anything, I think the whole like is it good or bad question, if you apply it to anything, it's it really depends on the situation, right? Like the internet becoming what it is has allowed me to have much more educated and informed conversations with people who come to my clinic and who are who come to me for care. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good thing, you know. Um, it's a bad thing when you have uh, some of the big like the big media outlets releasing articles that say flu or corona more deadly than flu which is just not true no i mean i guess if you depending how you look at it like you know the the death rate if you break it down to percentages you know number infected versus number who have died sure like yes it is higher than flu if you look at china if you take china out of the equation it it's probably comparable but then it's all relevant Right. So there have been 2012 confirmed deaths from coronavirus. Okay. All but six or 12, one of those two, six or 12 have come outside of China. So 2000 are in China, right? Nobody else is really dying from from the flu. Nobody in the United States has died from the flu. This year alone, this flu season, we already have, I think, 12,000 deaths in the United States from the flu. From the flu. Wow. Right. So, like, there, you know, that's probably a bad use of the internet and yeah. voices and you know, not being completely informed and things like that. Interesting. So I think it's all dependent on the situation. So, so with the mass hysteria, if the coronavirus were to come here to the United States, obviously there would be a huge, huge craze, a huge frenzy of people, right? Going all crazy. Are we prepared to, to take that on in hospitals? Cause I heard that there was in, in two weeks, they built two hospitals in China just mm-hmm. to combat this, this huge outbreak. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it possible for us to, like, maintain and, and, I guess, I don't know, quarantine or just fight fight this virus? Right. I hope we don't have to find out. Yeah. I hope we don't have to find out. <laughs> uh, you know, you want to think that we are. You know, uh, there's a lot of public health individuals who are trained in public health and, and combating these types of things. China so far has done a pretty good job from what I can tell. Um, these kind of things, once it gets spread, it's hard to, to really, you know, control it. Um but like if you if you think about China's total population versus who are infected, you're like yeah, they're probably doing a pretty good job. They're doing a much better job than they did in 2003 because uh, they got really scrutinized for that one. Yeah. Um, but you know, if it were to happen here, you know, we'd have to see. You know, I want to say yes, like we are, you know, more than trained, but I can't predict the future. Yeah. So let's just go into scenarios. Say say your practice. Okay, the coronavirus is here and it's mm-hmm. spread fast. It spreads pretty quick, right? Mm-hmm. So say it spreads fast throughout the Rio Grande Valley, right? So what does that look like in your office? How do, how do you how do you combat it? How do you is there a is there a antivirus for it? There's not. There's not to my to my knowledge. There's not like an antiviral for it. Like we have some antivirals for different viruses and things like that. But not that specifically. <clears throat> not that one specifically. And basically, what would happen is is once you started seeing the spread of it, we'd have to find patient zero. 
and then we'd have to find out where they were, where they had been, who they come in contact with. That takes time. And then those those people that they have come in contact with have been in touch with other people and other people. And so you'll have people get through the cracks. You know, it's just inevitable. And then you start going through all the, the algorithms of, of screening patients like, you know, um, where like right now there's 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 like a little algorithm to help clinicians where if somebody has has been to China or traveled in and around near China, especially the Wuhan area, and is experiencing basically flu-like symptoms, mm-hmm. fever, cough, shortness of breath, uh, overall ill feeling, you are, or if they have cl- close contact to somebody who's had the coronavirus or been in the China area, we're supposed to like quarantine them, let public health know, yeah. um, and kind of get them a mask so they don't spread it further. But at that point, like I probably have already been exposed, my medical assistant probably has already been exposed. Yeah. Um, if there was people in the waiting room, you know, which generally my practice is not, what's up, buddy? Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, yeah. And so, and then you would go through, you know, getting all the public health stuff going, quarantining certain certain areas. The ERs would then have to be, you know, trained and prepared to quarantine certain areas. People would be like on on lockdown, and you'd go through all these precautionary measures and. Just, it's so much. Yeah, so that much wouldn't happen until it happens. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And and um, my training, my training family care, which does involve public health, and I've had public health classes and things like that. And uh, we've we've gone, you know, part of the programs we've done, we've had public health efforts of going out and and educating people on stuff. And um, it's just a lot to really do. So I mean, a lot of the public health officials that are that are actively working on this, both here and across in other countries, deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, it's very interesting. The uh, I was listening to a, a report that was on, I think, CNN about xenophobia, about mm-hmm. how people are being racist towards Chinese people just because of what's going on in China. Yeah. But they have nothing to do with it. Like, mm-hmm. I think uh, in New York, they're, uh, one of the in Chinatown, 70% of the business has gone down just because of xenophobia. They, the people are afraid oh, and they're yeah. just labeling them like, it's your fault. It's your fault. I seen that on, a, I, I think on one of the subways, some, some guy was telling the Chinese woman, I was like, it's, it's a widespread panic is what it is. Yeah. And it's not knowing about it. And this is what I hope to get cleared up here is like, the only way you can get this stuff now is if you're traveling to China or Wuhan, China, right, where yeah. it originated, right? That is correct. It is yeah. not actively spreading person to person in the United States. The only person to person spreads that have occurred have been the very, very close relatives and friends of the people. Like if, for example, if, if my wife were to contract it and I was taking care of her and things like that at home, like, yeah, I'm probably going to get it, mm-hmm. you know, but that's about it. Yeah, for the most case, it won't happen. Cool, man. So I want to jump into social media. I love social media. I have to talk about marketing. I have to talk about advertising. And I saw what you're doing. I see I see that you're pretty active on social media. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you're a busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you do it? Because I think everybody gets confused. Like, social media is work, right? Yeah. It's like a whole other job. Yeah. And I, I don't think people are willing to put in the time to be able to get the results that you get from social media doing it the long term. But you're very educational, you're very informational, and that's what you need to grow a good audience. And you are literally the expert when you keep on talking about it. So that's why I love your stuff, because you're, you're informative, you're educational. Appreciate so touch on that, because I think it's super important. Everybody's looking for that magic pill with social media. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they try it out for a month and it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. So touch on that. Social media has been tough. I social media has actually taught me that I'm uh, I'm an introvert. That is for sure. Uh, it took me a long time to get started, and then when I did get started, it was you know one post here, one post there. Don't show my face. Yeah. Keep it to written word. 
uh, things like that. And, um, you know, I started kind of telling myself I need to put myself out there a little bit more, get, get my message across. And, um, it's been a struggle, you know, it's been a struggle, you know, trying to come up with content, trying to think of the things to, to, to talk about, talking about it in a way that makes sense so people can understand it, you right. know, no medical jargon, things like that. Um, it does keep you very, very busy. A lot of times I'm replying to comments at 10 at night, 9.30 yeah. at night, you know, 7 a.m., you know, on my way to the gym in the morning, you know, replying to the comments that came in at midnight, you know, yeah. people are on social media at midnight, yeah. you know? All time. Yeah, all times. It never stops. Um, I do think, I do think that, uh, like you said, the easiest way to, to grow a following is to, is to be informative, to be educational, at least in my space. Uh, you know, healthcare, uh, I think... I just really try to focus my content on on informing people rather than selling people. Yeah, yeah, it's the Gary V model, man. It's you yeah. give, give, jab, 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 right hook, right. Mm-hmm. I think we're both fans of Gary V for sure. And uh, I, I think it's it's super interesting because I think nobody ever put it in perspective until he came along and just started creating all this content. And I think you're absolutely right. Like it's it's work. It it takes a lot of work. But when you do it and you do it consistently over and over and over and over again, it just works. And it, it's a long-term game. Why do you think people aren't doing this? Because it's work. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very guaranteed answer. Right? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think um, I think it takes a lot mentally uh, to kind of put yourself out there and talk about what you want to talk about. I think... I think um, and, and myself included, not everybody always has the gear to just stop caring what people think about. Yeah. Um, and I go through moments where I probably don't post where I should. I, mean, I may be silent for a week because I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, and yeah. then I'm just like it flips and I'm like, boom, 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 you know, a couple posts. And um, it does take time, you know, away from you. Uh, like a lot of times, you know, I will have my wife drive the car, actually, so I can, you know, create a post and schedule it for later to be posted later. And. Um, a lot of times I'm up at nights thinking about like, what am I going to talk about and, and things like that. And it's all part of, of growing the, the audience and the awareness, uh, so that, you know, long-term you can have your followers and have your business succeed and things like that. Cause it's, it's all long game. You know, the, um, I forgot who was talking about this specifically, but I think it was probably actually Gary most likely like a uh, brand is the only way you survive long-term. Mm-hmm. And then Simon Sinek, uh, Sinek or Sinek. Yeah, Simon Sinek. Yeah. Sinek. He talks about how, um, like nobody's playing the long game as well. He talks about kind of, um, that the game of business never really ends. And if you play it as a start and an end, you won't succeed long-term yeah. versus if you understand that it is a, a game that never ends, right? It doesn't end with you. Then you can start to refocus and reshape your content kind of towards that arena and you'll eventually have success, but it's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. It's going to take a lot of typing with your thumbs and uh, it's going to take time away from your Saturdays, time away from your Sundays. It's going to interrupt your dinners and, and things like that. So it, it's, it's a tough ask. I think, you know, just one in general, the time it takes to just putting yourself out there in a world that is hypercritical. Yeah. Yeah. 100 percent hypercritical for sure <laughs> i think uh, i think mark cuban said it best business is 24 7 365 days a year seven days a week it's non-stop mm-hmm. it's you don't turn it off man so the more you're out there the better you are but what i wanted to touch on is is the introvertedness you said you're an introvert mm-hmm. or have you always been an introvert because you seem like you're you have to be extroverted in your career same thing with me i'm extroverted at certain times but i'm introverted at certain times so i fall in between so I, I think maybe you fall in between as well. 
Yeah, I think so. I was a very shy young boy, very shy. Uh, middle school dances, I was on the bleachers just watching. Wouldn't go dance, I was too embarrassed. Um, high school, very embarrassed, you know, very shy. I was not really out there too much. Um, if I was out of my friends, you know, something triggered something in like the, the senior year and I was just like, I can't be like this forever. And I started trying to break out of my shell and eventually I did. But even then when I was making strides towards that, like if I were like, I mean, you meet new friends in college, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and they might be, you know, um, going through the same educational process you're going through. Like when I was in nursing school, you know, I had my nursing school. Buddies, right. Right. And when I would go with them to their friends' parties, I would feel it again. I'm like, oh, who do I talk to? I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're kind of like, you find yourself up against the wall a little bit and, and you kind of go back to, uh, I would go back to my, my introverted state. And that's just something I, I keep working on, like trying to be extroverted, trying to be more social, uh, and I, that's one of my like ongoing continuous self-improvement, um, processes. That's how I am at, at networking events, dude. I, I can't stand networking events. I just, yeah. I, I, for some reason I just, ah, it's when I get invited, I just turn it down. It's like, ah, cause I've been to a few and I was like, ah, I'm always, yeah, yeah. I'm always isolated. It's like, ah, it feels weird because I do all my networking through social media ads. Like when I go somewhere, they kind of already know what I'm about. They know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So they know what to expect instead of me going in cold, which I'll do cold calls and I'll do cold meetings, stuff like that. But networking, when there's a lot of people around, I feel like something gets lost in all that space with all these people. Mm -hmm. I, just, I just don't like it. So I let my advertising do the networking for me and I reel them in with fight sales ones. <laughs> it works, man. Yeah, hey, it, it works, works for me. Yeah, whatever works. <laughs> yeah. So so advertising and marketing, man, what, what's been the, the biggest thing that you've done with your with your business, your company that you've seen the best results from? So my my clinic is is um, revolves around a membership model, right? So it's membership model. P patients are paying or members are paying a monthly membership fee to be able to receive care at our clinic, and it comes with a multitude of amenities, right? Are there a lot of people that do that model? Not here, okay. and not across the country. Actually, okay. I think there was only nine hundred clinics across the country that, that use this model. Um, so not a big thing, but it is growing and it is growing fast, and it's mostly because of the frustrations of healthcare in yeah. general. Um, so the biggest thing that I've done with my clinic that has really kind of propelled us faster than I thought it would go is I give uh, members a free month if they send me somebody okay. that signs up on the membership. And for me, that was the the most inexpensive way to market within my own walls and not have to have a big spend, especially starting out, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where money's tight. Um, and it really just comes down to providing great care. And then they tell their, their friends and family and they're like, hey, I benefit because I get a free month. They benefit because now they'll have somebody to go to. And then I benefit because I have a new member. Right. Right. So it becomes win, 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 win. And that was that was basically that's been my biggest like go to. I talked to other nurse practitioners that, that have clinics across this like Arizona, New Mexico, and they think it's crazy. And I'm like, I think it's crazy to not do it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting, man, because nobody, I think those are the, the things that break the molds. Like you, you're pioneering something here that's never been here before. Mm -hmm. Right. So people see it as like, well, I can go to the doctor or I can go to the, go to the clinic pretty much with a monthly fee, like a gym membership fee. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a sub subscription model. Mm -hmm. And I love that subscription model because it works and it works with a ton of businesses on social media. And that's how, I mean, Facebook isn't cool, 
but it's made a ton of businesses. Yeah. And the subscription model works really good because it's 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is on online, right? For these businesses and you just get a recurrent thing and that means ex- revenue coming in every single month for the business owner. I think it's a very interesting model and I love that dude. It's it's, it's very smart. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> I think it I think it works and I think subscriptions are growing in popularity because it's becoming harder to manage money, right? And I mean, this is a conversation, you know, that we can take on forever about how uh, um Inflation has gotten crazy. Wages aren't following. So I think a subscription becomes an easier way to manage your finances, right? Like it's a set every month. Like you can plan for that. You can plan for that. So otherwise, you know, one month you might be spending $250 on medical bills and then maybe you don't have another expense for a few months, but then the next month you have 300 and then a few months later it's a hundred and it would just be easier if you broke it into 12 monthly payments, which is what we did. So how do you pitch that to your clients? Because it's, it's, I'm assuming for me, social media is one of the hardest things I ever can sell because people here in the Rio Grande Valley, for one, they don't get it. They don't understand the value of it. And they think it's just a free platform. We're like, all right, well, it's free. Why am I going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. So having that sale, how do you pitch it to your clients? It basically what I relied on, right? Like if we go back to how, how I got started, um, I would explain people like, okay, look, this is a monthly fee. This is what you're going to get. Da, 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 da. And I had a little bit of a leeway because most people are extremely frustrated with most clinics and most healthcare. Uh, not that they're frustrated with the people taking care of them because a lot of times the clinicians in the background are great and mm-hmm. people love going to see the clinicians, but it's the whole process of like having to go wait for three hours, um, getting a very short amount of time uh, because clinicians are double booked, triple booked. Um, the my my the one that I hate the most is the surprise bills three months later because your insurance didn't cover this or cover that. Yeah. Uh, so people are already frustrated about that. So I, I felt like it was kind of easy to hack that. What I relied on mostly was customer service. I think, I think I have a natural gift at customer service, and I think uh, my dad he had his own business. He kind of helped mold that a little bit, and I think that's really been like the the biggest driver once people came in they're like okay like they're a little hesitant like monthly fee why am i going to pay you if i'm not coming yeah. kind of thing but then they saw like hey we're going to sit down for 30 minutes to an hour we're going to talk about all your concerns you're not going to be rushed you're going to be able to call me when you call i answer i take my time with you you know all that when you come up and when you actually get to the appointment you don't wait you know you are greeted by my medical assistant who um always greet you with a smile and by name, yeah. right? And, and not just shouting from a, from a door, right? That acts as a barrier to entry. Um, once they started to experience that, then that's when they were like, okay, you know, I get it. It makes sense now. And we had people who abused, you know, no way to avoid that yeah, yeah. anywhere, not yeah. just in the Valley, but there's no way yeah. to avoid that. <laughs> um, and we had people that, that loved it. We had people that uh, took advantage, which I think is a little bit different than abused. And uh, it was just kind of like a snowball where it was growing and growing, and growing as it was growing, you know, it was throwing pieces off where, you know, members were leaving and things like that. But we kept growing and growing and growing. Now it's very steady. Okay. Now it's very steady. And uh, the, the membership to the Harlingen Clinic is actually closed now. We're no longer accepting new members. Gotcha. And um, so that's been good. That's been good. So then once you get to a certain amount of number, you just cut it off. And then you open up a new office. Right, right. Uh, that that because the you cut it off to not ex- overextend yourself, right? Because right. the the point is to be there, you know, one hundred percent for the people that are there for you. Uh, and when you have a membership, that's kind of what you expect. Yeah. Right. So that's what we provide. Uh, so the second clinic is not to, you know, overextend myself as well. Um, the second clinic is to bring on a new clinician who will then um, 
take care of her her or his own members gotcha how do you okay so obviously you work one way right and, and this is always the problem that i'd have is is when i pull on clients i'm going to get too busy to be able to give them everything right because mm-hmm. p- people are like i want to work with josh i want to work with josh so that's why it's been very hard for me to scale what i do right because i like things a certain way I like i like speed i love speed social media world that we live in is all about speed right and it's content and it's creating all this different type of content that goes out like a machine right so i can't replicate myself and i've hired a few people on that they're just not up to my standard and i don't know if that's just my ego talking or whatever mm-hmm. but maybe i'll ask you this is, is do you see that in your new clinic would you be micromanaging these people or would you let them do your own their own thing so the the clinician that is in mind for the clinic i, I won't I won't break it out loud. My members know. I won't. I won't say it publicly yet. But uh, very close to me. Okay. So I am not foreseeing that that problem, but that is a real problem. And if I was to just like hire, like put out an ad, you know, for hire for a nurse practitioner to to come in and run the clinic and the model we do, I'd be very very hesitant. Yeah. I'd probably take a long time to make that decision. Um, my. My dad has his uh, used car lot now for 22, 23 years. And I started working there when I was 10. I kind of learned it from the bottom up. Yeah. And I saw a lot of people come and go. Yeah, a lot of people come and go. From you know the person working on the cars to the person taking the payments to the person who was supposed to act as a manager in his place when he wasn't there. And he just he couldn't figure it out. Like Same thing. Like he they weren't up to his standard right and i guess i guess nobody ever truly would be mm-hmm. you know um so that becomes a tough path to navigate right when you're trying to scale and you're trying to grow i don't know <laughs> <laughs> tell me the answer I man <laughs> i don't know you know um I've, I've talked to a few a few other nurse practitioners that i know that, that have their own clinics as well and uh uh there's a conversation that comes up a lot mm-hmm you know how, how to scale you know because eventually you, you want you want the clinic to the clinics to make money when you're not there and i don't know it yeah. just never really runs the same if you're not there yeah it's it's a very interesting thing because my dad owns a Derrick and mercedes same as you I, I grew up in Derrick since i was six years old so Derrick is all i ever knew and he was he was always like i'm never going to retire because i can't trust these people i can't mm-hmm. not trust them but i can't it doesn't run the same yeah when i'm not there right so he's always like well i'm going to do this i'm going to do this i need to be there he said he's going to die making ice cream cones <laughs> so it's like <laughs> respect yeah yeah and and i think that's where i got a lot of my drive from but at the same time like I want to grow a bigger business, right? So mm-hmm. it's like always navigating that thing. I, the other day, somebody called me, one of my friends, and she was like, what's going on? I was like, oh, I'm navigating the entrepreneur roller coaster <laughs> of life. Yeah, <laughs> But I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is, is as entrepreneurs and people that are doing these new things is people see our face value, right, on, on social media. It's like, oh, these guys live wonderful lives, but they don't really understand because they're not in it. So what's been your biggest struggle that you've seen so far with your clinic? The biggest struggle? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, battling self-doubt, being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of days where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, you know, from from internal thoughts of like going back to the whole nurse practitioner doctor thing. I was like, there was days where I was like, I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Why do I have a clinic? You know, why am I putting myself through this? Like, um, and then there was other days where I'm like, I'm never going to grow this to what my dad was able to grow. And so there's that conversation, um, you know, you know, where you, you start, you know, 
you almost start to think like I had it too good growing up, even though we started like low middle income, you yeah. know, and then we've kind of grown from there. Um, to you know, you just you I'm not gonna be able to do it, right? Or then you have days where you lose money and that's that sets off red flags and you stay up at night thinking like, what am I doing? Like I should have just stayed working with the big corporate company and uh collected my paycheck and just enjoyed life. Yeah. And internally, you know, if you do venture off into the entrepreneurial world and, and it is meant for you, you kinda have that like you never would have been happy just collecting the paycheck. Yeah. Um and I, I've never made a good employee uh, because I always think that something could be done a different way. I've never been in a position to actually put those things into play. Every time I would make suggestions, it would basically get ignored or um, it was it was only taken at face value and then, you know, basically discarded. So I think struggling with the self-doubt of going through that roller coaster of the ups and downs mm -hmm. um, has been the toughest part about going through business. Like, I think it has really tested my my will and my um, my whole you know, attitude on optimism. Yeah. I thought it was very optimistic. Now I think more so, but yeah. it got tested. Yeah. Do, do you think that self-doubt is, that you have this self-doubt is from from the doctor's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Are your peers, they're doctors and you're a nurse practitioner. So you're having that internal battle is like, I'm a nurse practitioner. These doctors are doctors that have been doing it for years. Is that what it is or? Well, there's that, there's that. There's also this ongoing battle of, nurse practitioners versus doctors uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, nurse practitioners are expanding, not they're not expanding their scope, but they're expanding their reach. You know, we're getting a little bit more autonomy and uh, laws are changing across the country. Uh, like right now I have to have a, a supervising physician and the supervising physician that I have is great. I've known him for a long time. He worked with me really well. Um, sometimes other nurse practitioners have to get supervisings that aren't um, as great to work with and they end up running like $5,000 monthly bills wow. that becomes hard to stay open. You know, um, other states have, uh, taken away that, that legal requirement of having that supervising. And that's because 30 to 40 years of research has shown that our outcomes are equal and patients probably like us a little bit better. Hmm. And sometimes our outcomes are better. Sometimes our outcomes are better. And I attribute that to the better, to the relationships that we're able to establish. And that just goes back to the models of care, uh, or the models of education. Yeah. Right? Um, and so there's that battle, right? And so, uh, you know, you're part of, of different business groups and there are, you know, MDs in there and NPs in there that are constantly bickering, like we should or shouldn't and this and that. And so that's always in the back of your head. And then you see, you know, kind of these, um, uh, career physicians that have been there for so long and they have huge practices and, and your practice can feel very small when you're starting out. And that plays a role into the self-doubt and just wondering if you have what it takes to be a businessman, you know, yeah. that creeps in there. So there, there's quite a few aspects to it. So what is it that keeps you going then? Um, I would say that it is, uh, for the longest time, it's been the thought of a family, the thought of family, because I don't, I don't essentially have any children right now. We have, we are expecting in July, so. Oh, nice, congratulations. Thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, so that becomes a little bit more real now, yeah. uh, but I've always kind of thought like, um, I guess I saw my dad, he was working, he managed every single lax in the Valley. Okay. Yeah, and he was kind of up there. They wanted to promote him to be some big title. Um, he made a request as a, a financial request to be signed on paper before he took his position. They said no, uh, and then, the corporate world uh, back in the mid 90s was kind of hitting a stagnation. Mm -hmm. And so my childhood, I saw him working with Lax, 
never home on Sundays, missing all my t-ball games, missing soccer games, yeah. missing all that stuff. And then he went out on his own and he was there all the time. And he was there on Saturdays and Sundays and he was able to take me to the park to go practice baseball. And that, I guess, stuck with me a lot more than I knew. And I was like, I wanna provide that for my family. And he helped me a lot, you know, with school and things like that. And so being able to provide all that for me, I was like, okay, I got to provide that and more for the next generation. Right. And that's been the, the biggest, you know, motivating factor. Do you feel like the whole American dream of entrepreneurship, you got to make all this money, you got to have these nice fancy cars, you got to have these nice houses, material stuff. Do you think that really matters at the end of the day? Because I think, I think you touch on it, but at the end of the day, we as Americans or as people want to progress regardless. Mm -hmm. And I think money is a huge tool to be able to do that stuff because it gives us freedom. Yeah. So touch on that because I think that's super important because I used to be super naive. My, my dad obviously was doing very well. Right. And I always tell him, I was like, I don't need money to be happy. And mm -hmm. then when I started making money, it's like, oh, I'm happy, pretty happy, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sure. touch on that. Cause I think it's super important. Yeah. So, um, when I started out and when I first finished school, I wanted the nice car and the big house and, you know, the vacations and stuff like that. And um, I'm sorry, the question in, in its in its heart, what is the question again? It's, it's do you need money to be happy? To be happy. Um, I think that varies on, on the individual. So going back to what I was saying, like I thought cars, house, vacation, stuff no. like that. Then once, once I, once the business was actually, you know, cause you're growing and growing and growing, trying to get there, right? Once yeah. it got to that, that base where I'm like, okay, like I can make moves from here. Once I got there, I was like, this is so cool. Like I don't answer to anybody, you yeah. know, but myself, um, I make my own decisions. Everything that I want to implement gets implemented. Um, I consult with myself and a few people that I trust and that's that. And I was like, this is cool. Like I don't need the two story house, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't need the whole thing. And, and that just become my realization. And that might have been like a moment of maturity for me, perhaps. Um, I think there are other individuals who, yeah, they do need the materialistic things to be happy. And that's just their own individual makeup for whatever reason, based on their experiences. Other people would probably be happy working the nine to five and collecting yeah. their paycheck and, you know, being able to, you know, not have the stress of business. Actually, one of my best friends, um, I would have this conversation with him all the time. He was like, I never, and his dad owns a business. Um, he was like, I never want to run a business or own a business. I just want to go work nine to five, not worry about it. Yeah. He's like, I'm happy. And he actually said it from a from a place where I believed him. Like he was happy. Yeah. And and he he was cool where he with the money he's making and you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad money. It's not, you know, it's not millionaire money, but it's good money. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the thing is, is a lot of people can be happy with a $50,000, $60,000, $70,000 salary mm -hmm. versus going out and try to make as much as you possibly can. Right. So I think that's a super important conversation to have because I think there's with a yourself. lot. Of, yeah, with yourself. Yeah. And with your friends because. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with your friends too. Yeah, because I think I think a lot of times is when I was going off into do social media marketing and advertising, is it was completely different than Dairy Queen, right? So it was a huge leap and and a lot of my friends and family were like well, why are you going away from us a, a sure thing right because i was getting groomed to take over Derek queen already so why are you going to go from a, a sure thing to something that's uncertain but i think it's always that entrepreneurial drive that my dad had like i have to try it i have to try it for myself yeah. and i think that's super important conversation to have even when you don't have the support from your friends and family because i mean it took me what three years 
to be able to like, all right, oh, I'm doing this full time. Like, all right, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. But people won't invest that time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It goes, it goes back to work. When, so when I started the clinic, I was I was working my eight to five. Um, when word broke about the clinic, when I broke word about the clinic, I got fired from where I was working. Um, so then I was without a job for a little while. Um, I got a job again, working eight to five. I would run my clinic five to nine. I did that for so many days. I think it was like a little over a year. At that point, I made the transition where I was working that day job eight to 12 and I was working my clinic one to seven. And I did that for like a whole nother year. And then finally I made the transition to like, okay, I'm just going out on my own. Yeah. Um, so it was just growing that, but those were, those were 18 hour days. You know, those were, um, 30 minutes at night to talk about things with my fiance, like how was your day and then sleep and repeat. And, you know, obviously that included gym time that included study time, you know, continuing education actual time at the clinic, time at the, at the I guess, at my, my part-time job. Um, 18 hours a day, most people just, just don't want to do it. And, yeah. and I would probably encourage them then not to unless they were really about it because yeah. it, it's not easy. It's exhausting because I think it could, it could put a strain on your family. And Because I know um, I had Dr. Chirac on and uh, she was, I, I was asking her because I'm always asking people like for their advice, right? Because I think it's super important. Like I, I'm working tons. I don't know when to turn off the work mode mm-hmm. all the, like at all. Like when, even when I have my kids here and we're enjoying stuff, I'll still be in work mode thinking about things. And I, I always try to switch it off. But is it a bad thing or is it, is it, I guess is a bad thing or a good thing that I, I am have that mind business, that business frame of mind, mm-hmm. because I, I, I guess what I'm trying to do is make up for all the lost time that I wasted pretty much. And I want my kids to be able to see like, all right, well, I'm, I'm hustling. I'm out there working for to get to a goal that I had. And I want to instill that in my children. It's like, all right, well, I'm here, but sometimes I'm mentally not here. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing to to be able to chase that American dream when you have a family? Yeah, I, th- I think there's trade offs. Um, I don't, I would not label it a bad thing. I would not label it, you know, um, you could see it as like a, well, you're not mentally present, but even if you were, if you just complete, if you had the, like, if you could go into a room and turn the switch off physically and then your mind were just to stop on the business, would you then become a little anxious? And would you then be a little bit irritable and maybe not be enjoyable to be around? True. You know? So I, I, when you think about it like that, you know, you kind of like, Hey, this is, this is Joshua Morales and, yeah. and this is Mike Machaca. And we just have that, you know, within us. And if you turned it off, I don't think we'd be very happy people. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, you know, and it's just, you know, you, you give your all at everything you can, you know, you do hundred percent with, with being a parent, you do hundred percent with being a friend, with being a husband, with being family member, being a son or a daughter. And, and, uh, you know, the ones who love you will accept you. Yeah. No, I completely agree, man. Thanks. Thanks <laughs> for the insight, because I'm always trying to make things better for myself, <laughs> regardless of what people say. Yeah. Well, Kuma, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the podcast, but let's pitch your, let's pitch your clinic, dude. So uh, my clinic, I'm in Chaka. Or are you already maxed out? Well, so Minchaka Family Clinic is maxed out. We're opening amenity uh, next month, hopefully, if everything goes according to plan. Amenity will be in Westlaco, Texas, also following the direct primary care model. Uh, Westlaco is my hometown, so I'm really excited about that clinic opening. Uh, it's a monthly membership type clinic. The membership covers all your visits, whether it's a sick visit, whether it's a well visit, whether it's an injury visit, a work physical, sports physical, any reason you think of for going in there, 
it's covered. You get unlimited telemedicine. You get wholesale labs, which are huge. You get wholesale, uh, no, you get free procedures, right? Like you, for you need EKG, it's nothing. Okay. Yeah, uh, stitches, nothing. Incision and drainage uh, for like a tacote, right? Nothing. Um, we do trigger point injections, nothing. Um, we do percussion therapy and basic physical therapy. No extra charges for that stuff. Uh, labs are wholesale, so our labs probably are like $3, $3.50, $3.75, $4, yeah. $6, $5, where some of those labs are 200 bucks elsewhere. Um, you get a one-on-one -on -one relationship with me where I'll take your time, 30 minutes, hour appointments, things like that. Uh, unlimited telemedicine, not sure if I mentioned that already. And then we actually just added free specialist visits. So like we can link you up with cardiology, pulmonology, gastroenterology, urology, orthopedic surgery, pain management, and that's been really cool. And like we're talking, once I get that consult submitted, we have like at the max of 24 hour turnaround. Wow, nice. Yeah, a lot of times they come back in four or five hours and um, that just saves people so much time. Um, it's been really great. Everybody that that is a member loves it. We've been growing a little bit faster than I thought we would when I first started the model. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to bring it to Westlaco and you know, we'll see, you know, obviously just my mindset, I'm like, okay, how can I take this to McAllen and yeah. Edinburgh and Far and San Juan and Mission? And, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's, we'll see what's to come. How, how, how long before you see other practices doing this stuff? Because I mean, obviously this is something new, right? I think once people get the wind of it, is it an easy transition? No. And so I think that's going to be a big barrier, Okay. a big barrier. Like if you're, if you're a large clinic and you're fee for service, which the fee for service is the standard model that you see wherever you go, basically, if you fee for service, then you got to transition everybody or, you know, you're going to transition into a DPC that becomes very hard uh, because it's a different accounting system that you have to do. You have to let people go. Um, you have to see what patients are going to stick around, which ones can afford. To, yeah. to pay you monthly or who wants to pay you monthly yeah. for some people it would make sense for some people it would make absolutely no sense and it'd probably run them out of business but the uh the the cornerstone of having a successful direct primary care practice is to have a small footprint right so very minimal overhead a lot of the ones that do get started up they have a space not bigger than this office here wow. yeah and they just have one table they got their desk and that's where they run it and they run it on on their own wow. like not a single other person they do the accounting they do the collections they do the care all that stuff. So you're talking about practices that have 25 employees, like, yeah, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. And then you have to pay the salaries of, you know, other nurse practitioners, other doctors, like it's just, it's hard to make that transition. So I think the successful ones will be ones that start up from the, from the ground up. It might be doctors or clinicians and uh, nurse practitioners, even PAs that branch off and do it on the side, kind of like I did. Yeah. And they can start it that way. And I, I really, I, I hope we see a lot of growth down here for that because not only the valley i mean not only the country but the valley particularly needs it texas needs it we're one of the most underserved medical communities or medical states in the country we rank pretty much last um one year it was like we were 45th i think the next year we were 47th Damn. um so we're, we're, we're down near the bottom we're down near the bottom and uh physicians are less and less they are going into primary care they're going into specialties uh for a variety of reasons and um Nurse practitioners are, are growing and growing and growing. So I see nurse practitioners, particularly with an opportunity here. Cool, man. Mike, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks, appreciate your insight, bro.